Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly Wrap, part of our FinTech Unfiltered brand. I'm Rick Morgan, a news editor at Bank Innovation, and I'm joined by uh, my fellow news editor, Bianca Chan, as well as Michael Seaman of Swipesum. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Um, yeah, thanks I'd for having like, me. I'd like to start by um, thanking our sponsors, Blend, Mambu, and Kunai. Thank you for your support, as always. It's been a busy week. Uh, this is the week ending August 28th. Um, before we get launched into the news, Michael, maybe you want to talk a little bit about Swipesum and your role there and um, what you guys are all about. Yeah, for sure. So I'm the uh, CEO and one of the co-founders of Swipesum. Um, and we're in the most basic sense, uh, payments consultants. Uh, and we've built a lot of software uh, to, to make that job possible. So consulting sounds human heavy, uh, but we have a pretty slim team and deal with some large like fortune uh, 5,000 um, type companies. But basically any business, small business to billion dollar a year in payments uh, can come to swipe some. We'll do solutions due diligence and find the best providers uh, here in mainly North America, but we do have some very large international clients. Um, after we do that due diligence, which uh, manually, if you were to do it, it's like a three to nine month process. Um, but our software does it instantly. Um, and then we help uh, pre-negotiate the best terms, conditions, and prices. Um, so short example, this week's big win was one of the largest e-commerce companies out of New Zealand, uh, used our process, um, and we were able to eliminate a couple people's like most annoying manual processes in their jobs. Uh, we saved them a half million dollars a month which was which massive savings for them. Wow. And um, also it's a, it's a good kind of end result for us. So it's absolutely free for any business to use our services. We do have pretty impressive results on um, cost reduction or just improving processes. And we get paid as a referral from any payments company or solution provider out there. So we have agreements uh, that touch basically all 5,000 payments options in the US. Um, so using us, you kind of avoid any sales channel or anything else and end up with the best solution at the best price to accept any type of payment. Fantastic. Uh, so one thing, uh, that Bianca wrote about this week that we can start on is, uh, about credit card customer satisfaction. Bianca, what did you find? And, uh, then maybe Michael can weigh in on it as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, sorry, I've got some construction going on outside, so hopefully it's not too loud. Um, so... Yeah, so some fresh data from JD Power um, kind of gauging credit card uh, customer satisfaction here in the US. And although we started the year off, that was supposed to be one of the highest kind of record years in terms of customer satisfaction um, with credit cards, it actually took a pretty big decline. 10 points on a 1,000 point scale, so not that crazy, but pretty big considering that we were on our way to uh, being one of the best record years. Uh, and that decline was driven throughout the pandemic the past five months um, with just a lack of communication. And another one of the big drivers was um, issues with the credit card terms. Um, the folks over at JD Power said, you know, throughout these economic kind of uncertain times, trust, loyalty, brand image, advocacy, those are some of the really key drivers or really important things to consumers. And I found it pretty surprising that 
according to JD Power's research, only 36% of credit card customers said that they've been proactively contacted by their card issuers in the past 12 months. And now we speak, uh, you know, more with banks on the kind of retail or commercial banking side. And from what we've heard, Rick, throughout the pandemic, there was a lot of kind of proactive uh, communication out to customers, you know, whether that's kind of new tools, like new online banking tools or um, anything about the government stimulus packages and kind mm-hmm. of processing those checks. So pretty interesting uh, that I think there's got to be some sort of improvement in, in that proactive communication between the card issuers, the credit card companies and their consumers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what we kept hearing was people were reaching out to their consumers and their customers and, you know, trying to let them know about whatever, you know, new deals were available to them, new um, rewards points, et cetera. So it is kind of interesting to hear that. Michael, I don't know if you have any thoughts that you wanted to add. Yeah, so we see um, transactional volume for thousands of clients. And throughout the year, kind of the trend that we experienced, and we touch every possible vertical, uh, retail, e-commerce, business to business, was a decline in the usage of cards or just volumes were lower, even with stimulus packages or whatever happened. Um, I think it's interesting on the credit card side because for the first time, a lot of people were pressured financially. And so maybe if they did get email or text notifications, it's so easy to ignore with all of the noise that we have coming to us. If you don't care, you know, like I have uh, Amex and, and Chase cards and I rarely click on anything unless it's like, you know, free tickets to X and then you click on it, it's no free tickets. Um, no, yeah, it's never actually free tickets. <laughs> never free tickets. I don't know why I get those emails. Um, but it would be interesting around terms because you have people that have annual fees that come up that obviously, hopefully that, you know, this year there would be some relief. Um, if you're looking at your terms, there's probably some issues going on or, or maybe you issued a, a dispute or you want to do a chargeback. Um, but the brands are clearly trying to protect revenue, but getting ahead of it communication wise is probably the the best way to maybe protect your revenue and your customers. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to touch on as well, Michael, um, we had some, we were doing a story as well about tech talent and where there's a gap between tech talent hiring and tech talent jobs um, and the actual tech talent itself. Um, They found uh, this was from a study, a company called, uh, uh, Mendix, uh, they did a, uh, it was called a drought developer drought index where they looked at where there was a lack of developers uh, relative to the number of jobs. And they found that counties in New Jersey, South Dakota, and Mississippi um, actually had the biggest gap between companies that were hiring and people to fill those jobs. Uh, I know you are based in St. Louis, and I believe that's where Swipe Sum is based. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the uh, tech scene there. Um, what the talent sort of looks like, the types of jobs that are hiring, and just how it's evolved over time. Yeah, that's that's crazy, and it's tough. Um, we started in kind of remote across the country, but I was in, in Venice Beach where um, there's a, a surplus and, and nice, highly paid group. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think what we saw kind of in 2016 to 2020 was, um, you know, re- remote work is possible. You know, if you can actually like find the people and we're seeing a lot of like at trade shows and conferences, there's a lot of startups that, that can find you tech talent across the globe. Um, obviously when you're working in close, close groups and in the office, which is what we prefer, uh, we feel like collaboration like is, is unmatched. Um, in St. Louis, when we got here, 
Um, we have a software that runs our whole business. It's called Statement, uh, S-T-A-I-T-M-E-N-T. Um, and I've been building that for a long time and it was tough to find engineering talent while we were here. There's a couple programs that um, give away grants for companies to move to the area. Uh, there's a lot of incubators, you know, it's your classic kind of like new Midwest hub in different spots where um, business owners, um, poker traded companies and the, you know, the government are, are trying to um, help people get off of the coasts and, you know, create tech jobs and talent in St. Louis. And what we experienced was we, we struggled at first um, and had to get really involved in the community. And, and um, so we used basically uh, an outsourced group that we had met um, out of Boston and their job was not, they were not an agency uh, trying to build software. They, they were working on their own product, but they had enough time to work on ours as well. And it just ended up working the best. And with, with time, as we, you know, got to know more people that are extremely in the know in St. Louis, you know, CTOs of some of the bigger companies and seeing some of the success stories of, of people raising money in the teams they grew, we, we were able to find and curate uh, in-house engineering talent here in St. Louis that, you know, is stellar, uh, just as good as anything you'd find on the coast. Um, I think there's another interesting thing happening because you have COVID now and people can kind of live and work from anywhere. Uh, but we're seeing kind of an influx of kind of shocking companies you would never see coming to, to St. Louis, coming to St. Louis, and even smaller kind of like um, suburbs of St. Louis having their own kind of tech scenes pop up. And I think, you know, we would have liked maybe in 2020, 2018 to say like engineers are moving off the coast and there's jobs you know, in St. Louis and Detroit and Cincinnati and, and, you know, some of the places you don't normally think um, as tech hubs. But now here we are again in August <laughs> and everybody's remote. And so, you know, it doesn't matter where, where people are. And that's one of the problems and things we're trying to figure out now with sales talent and tech talent and anything else we're hiring for is like, do they actually have to be in St. Louis? Because last year at this time, we thought they did. And now we're nice and unsure. Right. Yeah, I mean, Royal Media is headquartered in New York, but Rick and I are both in Seattle. So we're super used to working remote. And I think as journalists and reporters, it might be a little bit easier to do so. I mean, we are working closer to East Coast hours, but <laughs> what you're going to do? Um, but I mean, it's kind of interesting. Um, I know you, you were in the office. How do you find, I mean, I don't know if any of your workers are remote right now or not working in the office, but how are you finding that kind of like development or innovation process? I mean, you don't have that whiteboard that you're all kind of in the same room at that you can just, you know, doodle out ideas. Yeah, we're, we're, we're making it work. So I am in our office right now and half of our team is also here. Um, and we've just had to roll with the punches. So in, in St. Louis, uh, we went remote for um, three and a half months, right as soon as stuff went on shock, uh, lockdown. Our uh, revenue plummeted, transactional volume that we saw plummeted, and realistically about 50% um, of our employees were able to work remote, and the others like checked in for meetings, but when we got into the data, they just were not able to like self-manage, which was kind of disappointing. Um, 
And so now, you know, some, some people are still with us and some aren't. Um, and we've built a lot of trust in really in people saying, you know, you can work from anywhere. Um, but we just had like a lunch even two days ago to try to figure out, you know, are we hiring across the U S or are we just in, in St. Louis? Um, and kind of the end conclusion was we, there's some teams that have to be together and we can't, we can't collaborate the same way on a zoom call as we can when we are in a room with a whiteboard, as you said, um, kind of like in this conversation, I'm sure if we were in person, we would cut each other off a little more and maybe, you know, interact a little, a little better and say some things, um, you know what I mean? But it's, it, it's just, you just communicate even a little differently. Um, but I don't know, you know, if and when this is going away. And so the thing that we've done, the, the, um, the best on working in the office and, and maybe like human talent, human resources is um, kind of even narrowing our, our focus and find finding like who's actually like the best employee when, you know, I think it could, you know, easy to miss um, when we're all together or, or, you know, through the transition of going remote, we found the people that were like um, all about it and very like could self-manage self-starters. Um, and then also with our clients, we, we were able to have, we've had record months for the last two months and um, very, just everything is just going great. Couldn't be better. Um, but we did the same thing. We had to narrow our focus of who we were going after to the people that kind of were not affected the biggest opportunities that'll close today. Um, yeah, it's been a unique year. Sure. I mean, throughout this, you kind of learn that you need to be able to rely on the, the small teams that you have. So. Uh, looking ahead to next week, Bianca, what are you working on? Uh, taking a closer look at how this kind of shift to digital banking and mobile banking is impacting the way banks are thinking about their physical branches and how they're tweaking that kind of strategy to fit in more with the digital side or not. Yeah, we'll find out. Um, I'm going to work on a story, a few different things, but um, one of the bigger ones is how banks are sort of condensing or combining banking and accounting um, capabilities so the bank, uh, so their clients, their small business clients can do it all in one place and have it all managed under, under one roof. Um, so that's something that I'm going to be looking at next week. Uh, Michael, looking ahead, is there anything that, that we should keep an eye out from Swipesum? Um, there are some things. I like the, the idea of the banks and the accounting piece. Um, we work with a lot of banks and I think it's really interesting. They're starting, especially this year, getting very concerned about QuickBooks becoming a bank, Square becoming a bank, Stripe becoming a bank, um, which takes their deposits. And so uh, I think this year has definitely caused an acceleration in kind of digital adoption, but it's kind of funny, not funny. Um, it's just, uh, yes, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive to see uh, kind of legacy companies trying to innovate quickly or, you know, do or die. Uh, we're going through a rebrand. And so I'm very excited because if you go to our website today, it's going to look 100% different next week. And we've been working on it for months. Um, and so we've got web launch, new software developments, business as usual. It's, you know, it's always changing. And is, uh, is it going to keep the same name, I assume? We're keeping the same name. Uh, when we started Swipesum, as, as you know, many startups do, we thought we were very sure based on our research and companies that we were working with 
that, you know, we're the best solution. We find any business, the best solution at the best price. And we went after every single possible business. Um, and we had a lot of small to medium sized businesses and it, it was a lot of work for us, you know, to save them maybe like 200 bucks a month and they just wouldn't switch. And we realized that we had a very enterprise solution, which also made us a lot more money and a lot quicker adoption from name brands. Um, and when we talk to name brands, they, you know, they're like, we already have the best rate. Um, we've done this many times. We have someone that does this in house and which we always have to say, um, after we get their documents, you know, you guys have done great. You're very smart. We've never seen rates like this, <laughs> but we were able to find another half million dollars a month. Um, but it's just, it's, you know, it's a new, we have a new service that isn't normal in payments. Um, and so the new branding reflects that we are an enterprise solution. Um, it's not as much catered to small businesses. So small businesses, when we first launched our marketing uh, piece, like the service is still the exact same, but we showed it to people as like the first marketplace for payments. Like, you know, there used to be travel agents, now you use hotels.com. Um, however, big, you know, 200 location companies don't want to go to a marketplace to find their payments because, you know, they're such a big deal. And so um, we changed it to, and now we, we say that we're software enabled payments consultants and it's the exact same offering, uh, but presented best for enterprise clients. And I think it'll help us get more um, inbound leads, which who doesn't want that? Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. And we're excited to see what the rebrand looks like. Um, thank you both for joining me today. This was an exciting talk. Um, so as always, we will post this as part of a, as a podcast, uh, as part of our FinTech Unfiltered brand. We will also post it on our site. Please let us know how we did. Reach out to us on LinkedIn, reach out to us on Twitter. Um, and always feel free to reach out on bankinnovation.net. Um, we hope to see you there. Uh, we'll have a lot of good stories for you next week. So please check those out. And until next week, thank you for joining us. And um, look forward to talking to, um, to you guys then. And uh, hopefully it's an exciting week. And I'm, I'm glad you were both able to join us. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.